Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Jonah and Ben Play Board Games with Friends. I am Ben, joined, as always, by my co-host, Jonah. Hello, Ben. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Doing well. I think you saw me making a face just now, and that's because I have the perfect answer to a question that we are going to discuss later in the episode. Oh, okay. Well, I had a perfect answer right when I read the question, so I had no face. Oh, that's wow. the one that I currently have. It's fantastic. No one can see it. Let me describe it. It's Ben's face. It's wonderful. That's me. Me and my face. So what have you been up to lately? What have you been playing? What have you been doing? Um, in terms of what I've been doing lately, um, I have been watching disc golf. The season started up again. Yeah, I was watching some of the Vegas tournament yeah. with Jessica over dinner. Yes, I uh, I saw the what happened. I didn't watch this round, but I saw how it ended. So I won't say anything if you haven't finished uh, or plan to finish. But I have seen how it ended. Pretty cool. But I have not actually like actively watched a ton of it. Um, mm. I've kind of had it on as background noise at work, um, which has been cool. Um, other than that, just uh, playing a couple board games. Uh, and some exciting news that I'll discuss a little bit later after we talk about games. Oh, I mean, you know what it is, but teasers on teasers. Oh yeah. Have you ever had the, I think it's just a British candy Maltesers. No, it's like, uh, what are those things? The, I'm not a candy person. So descriptive. I know milk drops, malt drops. Milk duds? Milk duds, thank you. Or Whoppers. Whoppers, yeah. Are those both malt flavored? Well, Whoppers are malted milk balls. Milk duds are like weird candies that I've never had. Anyway. Maltesers. Really, Just really quick. Okay, wait. Milk duds. Milk duds. Oh my god. Wait, is that actually? <laughs> I'm, I'm reading about milk duds. Um, one second. Uh, they got their name because the maker found it impossible to get the chocolate-covered caramels to form perfectly, so he called them duds. I love it. I want to shake their hand. They actually—I'm not gonna lie. Milk duds sound good. I think I'm thinking of Mike and Ike's. But I'm talking about Maltesers. Yes, I know, which is uh like a Whopper. Yeah, and exactly. I have had Whoppers. Okay. Anyway, unimportant candy discussion aside. Candy's um, always important. Teasers. And uh, what am I doing, you ask? Yes. Uh, I have been rock climbing, going to the climbing gym, which is nice. Whoa, cool. I have been playing board games. No way. And I have been playing Elden Ring. Ooh, very cool. Elden Ring is a video game that is an open world hard video game. And I gotta tell you, I don't know what I'm doing. It might be too open world. Really? I'm just like running around with no direction and no idea what to do. And after like, I think four hours of that, and just getting destroyed by every enemy. 
I looked up, what are you supposed to do in Elden Ring? And it said, the first thing you should do is go to this like spot that is pretty much 100 feet away from, 100 yards away from where you start in the game. And I just like went around it to the right and kept going and going and going. Sounds about right. So then I went back to that first thing and all of a sudden I have like 15 side quests that I can do now. And it's great. I've just been walking around like an idiot, getting destroyed, wondering what I'm supposed to do. And now I have something to do. Now I know for when I eventually get this game. Yeah. Uh, It's a difficult adjustment coming from Sekiro, because Sekiro was all about parry attack. And this is all about strength and dexterity and arcane and weapons and spells so it's a little overwhelming for me but so far so good cool well i'm glad that it went from i don't know what i'm doing to so far so good and not i don't know what i'm doing so far so bad yeah so that's good things should start looking up good i'm glad that's nice. What about board games? Play any new ones recently? Any what good about ones? board games? I played four new-to-me board games this week. Whoa. And I played one not-new-to-me board game this week that I own and sold. Did you tell me about this one? I didn't. A little surprise for you. So anyway, the first game that I played is called Medieval Academy. Now, I showed up to game night, and Bill was mid-teach of Medieval Academy. I'd say, like, beginning of the teach, because he was willing to restart for me. And I didn't know what the name of this game was until after I had played, which was fun. And in Medieval Academy, they ask you a question. And the question is, do you like tracks in board games? And if the answer is yes, then they say, have a seat. And if the answer is no, they say, go somewhere else. So in Medieval Academy, there are like 10 different placards, each one with a track on it. And at the start of each round, you are dealt out five cards. Take one, pass them to the left. Take one, pass to the left. So just standard draft. And these cards let you advance that many spots on that track and like that's all it does so you play a card to advance on a track and then at the end of the round some of those tracks some of those placards will happen and some of them won't so like there's this battle placard let's say that um what's the word i'm looking for resolves thank you that resolves at the end of the second and fourth round then there's the princess placard that resolves at the end of every round then there's the dragon placard that only resolves at the end of the final round so you're just trying to draft and be in the right spot for all of these tracks at the right time does that make sense yeah it kind of sounds like a card version of tapestry yeah it kind of is and it's better than tapestry because it doesn't take a long time and uh yeah it was it was all right it was neat it was cool 
fair. Thus concludes my review. <laughs> Good review. Thank you. Um, Nick and I played more Gloomhaven, not last week. We took last week off, uh, but the week before uh, we played more Gloomhaven. Um, enjoying it much more now that we've changed the difficulty to easy and I've changed to Brutius Maximus uh, from my Spellweaver person. Um, there is no shame in adjusting difficulties. Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I'm, I'm like actually having fun now, which is the important part. That's why we play games. Yeah, um, it was just really hard. And the so the only thing that I will say is playing digital versus playing in person makes it much more rigid in how you can kind of like maneuver things around, I guess I would say like in person, obviously like you'll get to choose who the, like if the enemy is adjacent to two people, you'll get to choose like who they attack. Unless there's a rule that I don't know about Gloomhaven that they, that dictates who they attack. Um, You'll get to, you know, if something went wrong on your turn and you were like, Oh wait, I meant to do that. Like you can more easily reset, but digitally it's much more rigid. So like, I don't know who is getting attacked. Like if Nick and I are adjacent to each other, and a monster is in between us. I don't know which one of us is getting attacked, so I can't prepare for it. Hmm. Um, unless, again, there's a rule I'm missing, which is totally p- possible. But um, I don't know how to prepare for that, which is fine. But during our um, during our round, myself as the host, I'm the only one allowed to reset the round. And it like goes back um, to before we chose cards. But like sometimes, sometimes you just meant to like move with one part of your card and not the other part of your card. Right. Where in person you could just say, oh, I meant to move with this part of the card. But like now we have to replay the entire round, which is a bit of a pain. But I'm at least enjoying the game quite a bit more than I did beforehand. And we did some cool stuff like we went and like went to this um, like shipwreck island off the coast and we got some cool treasure and it's been it's been fun so yeah i think we're gonna pick up again this week hopefully to play some more um but gloomhaven is improving for me which is surprising for me to say to be honest with you because i was never i never really understood the hype like i played it a little bit and i never was like oh this is amazing and i still don't think that i get why it's number one on bgg but Mm -hmm. i'm at least enjoying it more than i was like the first time around when i tried it so yeah that's good it's uh your comment on the digital implementation reminds me of how board game arena doesn't have an undo button and so many times i just you know maybe you click the wrong hex which is you know a millimeter away on your screen and if you do it at the wrong time too bad so yeah for sure that's digital implementations yep but Digital is nice when you have somebody playing from across the country. So That's right. Um, I played a Friedemann Frisa game called Free Ride, because every game of his starts with an F, like uh, Power Grid, which is Funkenschlag or whatever in German. And I was really confused how you were getting to F with Power Grid. And Fresh Fish and other F games words exactly 
Interestingly enough, the playtime on this is 55 minutes, and Brad said that it says 55 minutes because Freedom in Frisa is FF and 55 is FF as well. I love the theory. Anyway, Free Ride is a game that takes place in Europe, and you are kind of building routes and going from city to city. It's kind of like a remix of Ticket to Ride, except you have a lot more agency, which is really nice. You just either put down some tracks or you pick up a route that you want to deliver. And delivering a route is just like if I am in London and there are some cards that say London to Milan, I can pick that up. And then if I make it to Milan, I did it. And that's it. So super straightforward with that. There's this cool system where there are six columns of cards. Each card, each column has three cards in it, and each card is one city. So the first column would be London, Milan, Moscow. And you can either take, take it when you're in London to go from London to Milan, or you can take it when you're in Milan to go from Milan to Moscow. And you have six different columns of these three cards, so you have a lot of different options available to you. Uh, I think that's great and neat. I have a minor gripe with the AP that's involved because on your turn you can only grab one of those um, tickets, I think they're called, if you're in the matching city, and you plan where you're going based on what routes you can accomplish. Which means when you are thinking of getting another route, another ticket, you look over at this sea of cards and try and find cities and where they are near you. I think part of that is my lack of a great grasp of European cities in their native language. So, like, there is Kiev, which is fine because Ukraine's, you know, well known right now. But there was also just another really quick, one. Really quick was, and this might just be me being like, was the name changed to Kiev at some point when I was not looking? Because I always thought it was Kiev and it was K Y E V. So I always thought it was Kiev as well. And when I was listening to Alexander Vindman, I believe in Donald Trump's impeachment trial, it was either him or the Ukrainian woman. Who said Kiev? And I figured anyone who lives there probably knows how to say it. So yeah, I started right. to say Kiev around then. Okay, I just noticed like the spelling was different than what I remembered, which makes it look more like Kiev. Right. So I was like, oh, this is not how I remember it spelled. But this is me being stupid. So, well, you're in good company. So anyway, there are cards that correspond to these cities, but I don't know where a lot of these cities are. So there is a city that is also in Ukraine. I just, I basically learned in this game that I don't know any Ukrainian cities, but there's another one called Lviv, L-W-I-W. And if you just see a card that says L-W-I-W, I don't really know where that is on a map. Yeah. But, you know, I knew where Barcelona was and London and Milan and Naples and all those. So anyway, it was a cool game and it was the right length and it was neat. 
especially cool. because it is a closed economy and it's called free ride because you're building all of these train routes and when you build it you put one of your markers on it which means anytime someone else takes it well the first time someone else takes it they have to pay you a dollar and then after that that route is now free for everyone to take it's a free so ride it's a free ride it's the name of the game nice yeah it's a good game i have only played ticket to ride once and after playing it once i never want to play it again but this was neat and i would recommend it cool that is good to know. Uh, on the list of games for me next, uh, we had a nice discussion, you, myself, and Patrick, about this once I finished up my two games of this. Uh, I had another Legacy game. Oh, and what's I it played called? Uh, Clank Legacy. Oh, had a go. Uh, two more games of Clank Legacy, and I'm just going to directly read my thoughts that I typed out. Once I got home from these two games to the group. Yeah, I mean, why think again if you don't have to? Yep. I said, I have more Clank opinions. Just finished game six. I would be fine never playing Clank again when we're done. I am <laughs> um, enjoying the story of Clank Legacy. Like the story we're building. I think it's fun. I like the humor that they're bringing in and I like what's going on. I think I don't like the core game of Clank, like, at all. Mm. Um, And I said that I have come to the conclusion that there are too many feels-bad moments in a push-your-luck game and too many opportunities for Take That, which I normally, I really don't mind. Like, I'm fine with Take That, but it keeps me from enjoying Clank itself as a game. It's weird. I felt the same way. It just feels very feels bad and take that in all the wrong ways yeah and maybe i'm just being whiny and that's fine but i was i was playing what felt like the best game of my set of clank games and i get one space away from getting out and at that point all anyone wants to do is buy stuff off of the track even if it gets them less points so that a dragon attacks and then i die and I'm one space from fully escaping and I die. And I, I get that that's the correct move, but nothing about that feels good to me. It doesn't feel good for either player, in my opinion, because I last time when I played it and we talked about it, I mentioned how I was in that position and like mm-hmm. the right move was to buy cards. So then Rob would die and I would win. But like, that's not a nice decision to make and it's not fun to make that decision. It just is like pure spite. Yeah. I mean, we got down to a point where I was up next. I had, I had the boots to escape in my hand and a card, and one card was purchased. And then the other card could have been, or one card was attacked and destroyed. It was like a monster and that's fine. Cause that earned some stuff. And then the next one, if I recall correctly, could have been part, there could have been a, like a five point tome purchased or something like that from like above the track. But then below it was like a two point, you know, was a two point card. And that two point card was pulled. And because that two point card was pulled from the row an event triggered. And then the event triggered again, because after that was another event. 
And then after that event, second event was a dragon attack. And then I died. And like, again, maybe I'm just whiny and it is what it is. I'm not disliking the game to the point where I'm going to stop. But I really, I don't think, to be honest, I don't think that I ever need to play a competitive legacy game again, which is what I had said when Rob was on. Rob, right? Not Ron. I keep forgetting these names. Ron. Ron. Jesus. I'm sorry, Ron. I know you're the one that got away, but I keep saying the wrong names. Um, the name got away too. The name got away too. But yeah, I I said the same thing two weeks ago. I was like, I don't think that I like competitive legacy games at all. Mm-hmm. And you're I in think one. That's just be yeah. And I think that that's just because like over the court, like to me, a legacy game is about building a story. And instead of building a story. And I actually think that I wrote this one down too. So let me see if I can find it. Oh no, I jumped to today. So I lost it. Uh, But I think that I said something along the lines of like, it feels like we are, you know, we're building a, instead of building a story together, it feels like we're just kind of like trying to get ourselves to like the head of the class or like employee of the month. And it just, it just feels like multiple competitive games in a row instead of like, Hey, we're building a cool story. And I, I don't know. It's not it's not for me, but I'm enjoying like what story there is. I'm enjoying it, but the actual core mechanics are, are not for me, I don't think. I have two questions for you, and if the answer to the first one is yes, then I have a if I have a question for you, and if the answer <laughs> to that question is yes, then I have a second question for you. Okay. Are Gloomhaven and Clank Legacy both semi-cooperative legacy games. At the point that I'm currently at, no. The only the only semi-cooperative part I would say for Gloomhaven is you each have like individual tasks when you enter the dungeon crawl, but you're always working toward a common goal from what I've seen, whereas So it's not as competitive. Correct. Okay. Correct. Like, for example, I went into a dungeon with Nick and one of my tasks is kill a monster, kill less than certain number of monsters. So, like, I'm trying to, like, damage them but not kill them. But I can't tell Nick that. So, like, I just need to Mm. do stuff like that or don't loot any gold, which, to be fair, kind of sucks because when you get the gold, you can, like, you know, you want the gold. So it kind of sucks when you get ones like that. But... There's, there hasn't been anything outright that said, like, beat this person to a treasure chest. I mean, there is, like, loot a treasure chest as a goal, but typically the treasure is something that you want as a team. It's right. not like it hurts the other person to not be the one to get it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So Okay, so they're different. Yeah. Yep. But, yeah, that's my experience with Clank Legacy. I'm, we're not at the point where we're throwing it out because we're enjoying it as a, like, as a group, I think, but... I don't think I ever need to play Clank again, mm-hmm. which is fine. All right. I played this year's hottest game, Ark Nova, the story of uh, running a zoo. And it has a very interesting core mechanism in it where you have five actions that you can take and they are in a row numbered one through five. And when you take an action, let's say you take action number four, after you take that action, it slides all the way over to the left, 
into the one spot, and then the one, the two, and the three all slide one spot to the right. And what's interesting about this is when you take an action in the four spot, it has a level four power to it, let's say. And if you take an action in the two spot, a level two power, etc. So you're trying to time your actions well and do them in the right order so they are as powerful as you want them to be when you want to do them. So I thought that was really neat. It also has the Rajas of the Ganges style uh, victory condition in it, or end game condition in it, I should say, where you have two different types of points that you are getting, and they start on opposite sides of the track. Technically, they're on different tracks, but it is effectively just opposite sides of the same track. And when they cross each other is when the game ends. So That's you neat. have your appeal as a zoo that you are working towards, and you also have your conservation that you are working towards. So it's a really neat blend of theme and mechanics because as a, and I say this as someone with no experience running a zoo, um, as someone running a zoo, I imagine you have to balance conservationism and profitability. Yeah, I, I, get, all, I get that all from playing Zoo Tycoon. I get right. It. And this is pretty much Zoo Tycoon, the board game. Um, I had a few problems with it. I think they mainly stemmed from my inability to finish the rules video on time and having huge, huge mistakes come up to bite me. Well, huge things that I didn't know about. So I don't know if it was a mistake. Either way, I messed up and it made me like the game a little less. But I thought it was a cool game. I would like to give it another go. There is not tons of interaction in it, which is a perk for some and a detriment for others. Which one I is it recommend for you? it. Uh, it's kind of a detriment for me. I think three players was the right player count for this game. I think it would be fine at two, and I think at four it would be way too long. Because this is one of those games where when someone else starts their action, a lot of times you can just start your action too. So like when yeah. someone's finishing up their action, you can just go right ahead and take your turn because it doesn't matter that much to you. So kind of like scythe, top row, bottom row. Like yeah. when you're your bottom row, the next person can start their top row. Yeah, and I don't love games where you can stop paying attention on someone else's turn because then why am I at a table with them? playing the same game but that's just my style of game so i liked it enough to want to give it another go there are like 300 cards in that deck and there are different combinations and the core mechanism is interesting to me yeah so i see what the buzz is about but i don't love it okay okay i've heard it's like uh terraforming mars-esque and i don't know if you've played terraforming mars or not i don't remember if you said but i played terraforming mars once mm -hmm. and i think the time that i played it was also a time where we punched someone else's game mm. and then played it while we read the rule book together which is but pretty much the worst faux pas yeah. you can commit <laughs> in board games 
Um, okay. Well, Arc Nova. Arc Nova. I will be honest. From the from the images and m- the more I hear about it, I have like zero interest in trying it. Mm-hmm. I didn't like terraforming Mars. I don't really seem to love pure engine builders. I don't like games with photographs as their art. Very much. <laughs> yeah. I just think it's lazy. If I'm being honest. Um, oh, so that I'm so glad you say that. This is an $80 game. Mm-hmm. Let's call it a $70 game. And each person's player board, which to be fair, you don't move. You just put some pieces on is a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. And I don't understand it. I was talking to people on the trick taking discord about this game and someone else said that they chose gameplay over component quality because you can have like different maps, I guess, on these player boards, different yeah. zoo layouts, I guess I should say, to polyomino around. But I'm sorry, I'm not I don't want to pay eighty dollars for a game and have the components be crappy like that. I don't need good art. You know, the photographs whatever lazy yeah but it's still something yeah but these player boards holy cow just a little flimsy piece of paper yeah i get that and i think i said something i think i actually said something now that you brought up the polyomino bit i think i said something when you posted the photos in discord and it might have been about this one where i said that if polyominoes aren't like the main component to a game especially one that's like slightly heavier I'm not the biggest lover of adding them in like a feast for Odin. The polyomino bit was my least favorite part of the game. Mm -hmm. And that's like a huge chunk of the game, but there's so much else going on that I didn't want to think about polyominoes. So yeah, that was, I think when that came up and I saw that it was polyominoes, I think that also kind of did it for me. Right. I mean, there's some cool stuff with the polyominoes, like, you build these different exhibit types and I wanted to build an exhibit for a elephant, an elephant seal. And it had to be an exhibit that was at least three hexes big and adjacent to one water space. And then you have this like golden Eagle that takes up five spaces. But if you have the large bird aviary, then it only takes up one spot in that. So there is some interesting stuff going on there. Yeah. And I do want to try it again. But it is definitely not my type of game. I think it might be a game that I like and would play, which is high praise. Yeah, that's uh, I mean, as long as you play it, that works, right? That's right. Uh, Next one for me is one that I would definitely play again because I've been looking forward to trying it for a while and I really enjoyed it. Uh, And that was uh, Necromolds. I finally got to try Necromolds. Um, I had a night with my brother we were just trying to figure out what to play and i was like you know what i want to try this and i broke out necromolds and necromolds is a it's actually a skirmish game believe it or not it's like a light a rules light skirmish game so you're literally using like their measurement tools that they include in the game to like measure out how far you can move and attack so oh, like wow. it's yeah so it's got like distances and stuff in there but um it was a Kickstarter game that like played so heavy on like nostalgia of games that had commercials on television when I was when we were like kids. 
um, like crossfire and stuff. And it had like a whole song going on. Um, and basically you take Play-Doh, which I know that's a brand name. I don't care. Play-Doh. Uh, you take essentially Play-Doh and you mold it in these. They're called um, spell books. Oh, well, <laughs> yeah. Yes and no. The game is Necromolds, uh, but you use these spell books, which have molds inside of them that you put the Play-Doh in to mold essentially what are your warriors and your like miniatures that go on the board. Um, so you take turns placing terrain out on the board. So there are like little cardboard bits of terrain and they block like movement. They block line of sight. Um, but if your monster is taller than the than the obstacle, they can like do a ranged attack over the top because they're oh, taller, cool. which is neat. Like it's it's they have advanced rules. They have basic rules and they have normal rules. We played the normal rules. Um, I haven't even looked at the advanced rules, but normal rules are what we played. And you what's what's cool. And I don't know what units they're using to like measure the size of these monsters. But everybody gets the same amount of Play-Doh. Um, I don't I mean, it, that's what it is. I, they're calling it like modeling clay, but it's not clay. It's Play-Doh. Um, and each you, you essentially draft your monsters. So you put the spell books out and you can like draft them and you need at least one. But the more you take, the more gems you start with. And gems are used to add dice to your pool when you're rolling for attacks or defense. Um, so, you know, the more you spread your forces out, the more gems you get, but the less clay you have to make these units because each unit has a number associated with it, which is like how much clay it uses. Mm -hmm. So I took an insectomite was one of the <laughs> things and it used like 20 arbitrary units of clay. Whereas I also had like a, um, oh man, uh, I had, a. I think it was called like a, vi no, that's a Pokemon. Uh, <laughs> I was thinking of a Pokemon name. Um, I had, um, yeah, there's like an insectomite. And then there were like these little toad like creatures. And those were like, there were two molds in the book instead of just one. Cause each spell book's the same size. And each one of those molds was like eight units. So like basically what you do is until you cannot make a unit, fully so a full unit is when it's molded there are no gaps in the, the miniature that's a full unit so once you can no longer make a miniature without having gaps in the clay hmm. then you're out like if you if you have leftover you put it back in in your little tub and you're done and those are your units that you play with for the rest of the game and you place them on the board on the outer edge there's like a line around the board so whoever's like going first or whoever Whoever's going first, like, can orient the board how they want it, and then they can choose, you know, which side they want to start from. So my brother started, and what's really neat is, like I said, it's it's like a skirmish game, but it's kind of a really cool starter skirmish game because it's very easy to get into. You roll attack, you roll defense, you move characters around by using this little measuring tool. So you roll what are called control dice at the beginning of the round, and... You always start with a certain number of control dice, depending on how many spell books you've drafted, and you then assign them to your units. Um, so like, for example, the Insectomite, it might have two spaces to put control dice. One could be a ranged attack and one could be movement or a ranged attack. Hmm. Like those are your options. And when you assign it, 
you take, you know, you go back and forth using the control dice on one of your spell books to move all of the monsters of that type. So I had two insectomites in, in my army. So once I would move, I could move both of them and it would indicate like what range you can move them. So you'll move them around the map using the measurement tool. And if you get within range of somebody, you can spend that ranged attack to then roll attack dice. And that's where you can use the gems that you earn at the beginning of the game. Or if you roll the dice and they show gems, you can get more gems. And the real fun comes in when you kill another monster, because no matter how powerful your monster is, you just need to roll more hits than their defense. It's just, it's literally roll versus roll. Hmm. Like that's all it is. Um, So like the insectomite has like five defense dice, but my brother can spend five gems to make his one attack go up to six. Like if he has all those gems. And the best part is before you pick the game, everybody takes what's called a caster ring. And this is like the kids, the kiddie part of the game, which is like the nostalgic part. And each caster ring has like a shape on it. So like my brother's had like a toad and mine had like a, a fish. And there's like stories. Green Lantern. In... Exactly. They actually look like Green Lantern rings. Um, but at the back of the rule book, there's like a little lore book about like what all these, you know, little rings images are because they're supposed to be collectible. Like they're, they sell them in like two packs. But because I mm. did the all in on Kickstarter, I got like every one already. Um, and when you destroy the other monster, you literally like put the ring on and go like, and smash the other person's monster that you destroyed with the ring and it squishes claim them well no it squishes the clay out leaves the little like whatever mold was in your ring on the clay but now that portion of the battlefield can no longer be like stopped on so you can't move through it you can't stop when you're touching it it's like now an obstacle so like the more you squish the other opponent the the more you're clogging up the battlefield and it was like, it was a lot of fun and we just had a really good time with it. And I ended up winning at the end because I had such a real, such a powerful defensive monster that was like so hard to kill. Um, but yeah, no, it was, it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it and I'm looking forward to, to playing again. So, cause there were like, we, we each drafted, I think like four spell books and I think there's like a total of 12 or 13. So there's still a good number of monsters that we haven't played with. So yeah, it was, it was fun. I you should it. try and combine it with Cloudspire. <laughs> that would be a lot. But yeah, that was Necromolds. I That's would recommend it if you have the opportunity. Yeah, so I'd love I to try it. it. Yeah. Um, my next game is one called The Bottle Imp. This is a trick-taking game that I got for $5. Oh, is this uh, one you sold? It's not the one I sold. Oh. Um, I think I mentioned before that there are pretty much no games that I wouldn't get for $5. Rococo Deluxe is one of the few. Fair. (laughs) Anyway, um, Bottle Imp is this really bizarre trick-taking game that I still don't know if I understand, so I need to play it again. But the gist of it is... There is a bottle in the center of the table on a a card numbered 19, and the deck is numbers 1 through 36. Three different suits, but it is not split like red one, green one, blue one. It's like, uh, well, maybe it was yellow. I'm the wrong person to ask here. Anyway, yellow is like numbers 1, 2, 3, and 4. Then there's like a blue 5, blue 6, then red 7, 8. 
So the numbers are spread out, the colors are spread out with the numbers, and you have to follow suit. And if you play cards that are all above the card in the center that the bottle is on, then the highest number wins the trick. If you play cards and there is only one number that is below the bottle number, then that card wins the trick. And if you play cards and there are two cards below the bottle number, then the highest of those two wins the trick. So let's say the number is 19. I play a 35, you play a 27, and Patrick plays a 22. I would win with the highest number. If I play 35, you play 27, and Patrick plays 16, then Patrick wins, and then the bottle goes on the 16 now. So there's a new price on the bottle. And the market kind of goes lower and lower, and it's also kind of a game of chicken, because at the end of the round, whoever has the bottle still will not score the points from their tricks. They will instead score negative points according to the cards under the bottle from the start of the round. Jeez. Yeah, so it's really interesting. I don't think I get it yet, so I want to play it some more. And then I'll have yeah, makes sense. an actual opinion on it besides this is neat. Makes sense. It seems to me like a lot of trick-taking games, coming from somebody who doesn't understand most trick-taking games, a lot of trick-taking games seem like they should reward you for what you lose points for. Like, to me, if you're going to get the bottle at the end of the round, that sounds like a good thing. But nope, you're going to lose points. And I feel like that's normally the case in trick-taking games. At least the ones I've played. Yeah. So That's how they work, I guess. Yeah. At least for you and me. So so what's next for you? Uh, I taught Ashley un- Unmatched. It's been a while since I played Unmatched. Um, so for those that don't remember, Unmatched is the two-player card-slash-skirmish-y game, but you don't move around with rulers and stuff. There's a map, um, and you have a deck of 30 cards, and you have uh, uh, only three actions that you can do. You can scheme, attack, or maneuver, and maneuvering allows you to draw more cards, and you're essentially trying to position yourself well around this map um, in order to attack the other person's hero, because the only thing that matters is the hero. Um, if you kill like the little minions, you don't win the game. You only win the game if you kill the hero. Ashley was Medusa, and I was Sinbad, and I got smacked up. Really? I lost so badly. Um, I've come to realize... That strategically, I'm not good enough yet at any of this to figure out how to best beat a ranged attacker with a melee attacker. Mm. Because range in Unmatched is based on zones, and zones are just, if you have the same color, or if you are colorblind, pattern on the back of like the location you're on, and someone else is in the same color or pattern anywhere on the map, you're within range. So with Medusa on the map we were playing, that was a lot of the map that was covered from a couple of spaces. So I was like, it was hard for me to move around and really like hit Medusa. And each person also has a special power 
So Medusa's special power is that my hero takes damage anytime she starts her turn in the same zone as me. So it was just very difficult because I was usually getting hit before the round even started. And then she would was already in my zone and would be able to, to attack kind of like right off the bat. Um, but Unmatched is great. I just got season two or volume two, which has like uh, Sun Wukong, um, some fighter who I honest to God, I would butcher the name if I even tried it. So I'm not going to um, Achilles and Bloody Mary. And it looks awesome. So I'm excited to give those fighters a shot. Um, so I'm glad I got to play it again. But yeah, Ashley enjoyed it as well. So that's another game for us to play, which is great. Excellent. Unmatched. I think Magic invented this style of game where you have yourself or a boss each with health points and then you have like little monsters and other stuff that can get in the way. And it's so crazy how many other games just have that same system because, you know, Star Realms effectively has that same system. This has that system. Hearthstone has that system. Just so many games have been spawned from Magic and all with their own little twists. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, I've played Magic one time and I told Nadia to not go easy on me and I lost in like three rounds. So mad. that was my Magic experience. All I know is I'm glad I didn't enjoy it so much because then I would be even poorer. Yeah, Magic is no joke money-wise. Yeah. I only have one more game to talk about. Oh, and it is the game that I sold. Was it Gaia Project? <laughs> One syllable more, and you'll have the answer. No idea. One word means Electric City. Oh, Electropolis? Electropolis, yes. Wow. I played Electropolis with some people and... I think this was my 15th time playing it. And I think I have seen what it has to offer. Fair. So still a good game, but 50 bucks for 15 plays. And I just sold it. Wow, you got 50 bucks. Oh, that's how much it was. I thought that's how much you sold it for. I was going to be really surprised. No, I sold it for 30. Yeah, not bad. Give it a good home. (laughs) Locally. Yeah. Nice. Locals the best. I sold the game locally. So I'm adding to my uh, games sold pile. That's right. Uh, I sold your goal I sold, for the year. Yeah, I sold all currently available items for too many bones, including the trove chest, which is the gigantic Kallax cube filling crate. And I went through a really fun process. I know you don't use Facebook anymore. The only reason I use Facebook is to sell board games because Facebook has such a wide audience for the sales page. And I almost crazy, isn't it? Yeah, I almost solely sell my board games on Facebook at this point. But man, I was getting annoyed. Um, So two of the groups I was trying to post it to were like, you have to have a shipping price if you want to like you have to have an option to ship if you want to list here. And I'm not shipping too many bones, which is a like a 45 pound game in a delicate wooden crate. It's that, one cubic foot of mass. <laughs> yeah, it's one cubic foot of mass. It's like 48 pounds and the crate 
was damaged when it was sent to me empty by a professional shipping company and I needed a replacement. I'm not like, I don't want someone to cry to me. And this sounds really rude. I don't want somebody to cry to me that the game gets to them damaged. All of the risk is on them. If I'm going to ship it, I'm not, I don't want to deal with it. So what I did was I listed the game for $600, which is the all in price with $200 shipping. I just made an arbitrary BS number, a deterrent number, which was essentially a deterrent. Well, it was a deterrent. If somebody wanted to pay me $200 to ship this game to them, sure, I'll ship it to you. If you're going to pay me 800 bucks for this game, I'll ship you the game. But I knew nobody was one was wanting to do that. And I actually got my post taken down on one page because <laughs> I'm not allowed to put arbitrary shipping prices, as they said in the post or in the removal comment. Someone sent it to you. You can send it to somebody else at your cost. So I reached out to the page. Because, 800 shift, 600 local. Well, I actually reached out to the page because I didn't want to get banned because this was the page that I sell most of my games on. I was going to do that, but I wasn't sure if they were going to consider that the same thing. So I reached out to an admin on the page. And at first they were like all snarky with me. And they were like, bleh, 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 and they were kind of saying that like the same thing that they said in the like the takedown post. Um, and then I was like, look, it's like a 45 pound game. This crate came damaged and they were like, oh, what game is it? As if they like didn't see the post that they took down. And they were and I was like too many bones with the trove chest. And they were like, oh, man, my trove chest came to me damaged. You were able to get a replacement. I'm like, yes, I asked. And then after that, they changed an entire rule on the page that you say that buyer assumes all risk when like delicate items are shipped. They even updated their shipping policy. They were like, everything does need to have the option to ship. But if someone doesn't want to ship something because it's delicate, like furniture or like a delicate game, you can say buyer assumes all risk. So I updated it. And literally like a half hour after I did that, somebody messaged me locally and was like, Oh, I'll drive an hour to you to pick it up. So I sold Crazy. Too many bones for six hundred bucks after three hours being listed on Facebook. You sold so that was too fun. many bones for too many bones. Yeah, and I mean, I'll be honest. I really do like the game. I just didn't have anybody around who would play it with me, and it's too much game for me to have solo. Like, it's just too much game. It's a lot of money so, to get too, so that's great. Yeah, so I got a good bit of money back, and I'll be honest, again, after playing some games today with Patrick, I was about to spend a large chunk of that money. Let me tell Well, why you. don't you tell me what games you played with Patrick today, then? Sure. Uh, well, first, I played a quick couple games of Ubongo with Ashley, but I've discussed Ubongo at length before, so I will skip over that to the two new-to-me games that I played tonight um, before we got on this podcast. Uh, I played Ankh. Gods of Egypt. Wow. How many and, players? Uh, five players. Wow. Uh, and I loved it. Wow. I hate myself for not backing this game. Well, for backing this game at a dollar and not upgrading. I hate it. I hate myself. I don't know why I did it. I'm mad. Uh, and I was prepared. I was really, I was, I messaged people on Board Game Geek. I wonder if I actually have a response yet. I do. I have a response. Someone would be happy to ship via any method. I even asked someone if they'd be willing to ship the all-in via a different method because they weren't using Abe Corn and their 
estimate for shipping from their place to me would be $107. And I'm like, no, it's going to be $20 on Avecorn. Um, but I'm holding back and I'm going to just play Patrick's copy. I'm proud because of I really could not justify spending like $350 on another game right now. Especially if you would just play it with him. Yes. So, yeah, let's get back to the game because it was awesome. Uh, I loved it. I don't know which of the trilogy of cool mini or not themed games is my favorite. I would definitely say blood rage is probably my third favorite of the trilogy. So it's blood rage, rising sun and Ankh. Wow. Um, I like blood rage a lot, but man, rising sun, every time I play it is just so cool. And Ankh was awesome. So let's get into why, because I'm just gushing and saying nothing. Um, first, the like the method of taking actions it's kind of like a rondel style without i mean it might be rondel style i guess so you have four actions that you can take on your turn uh you do two actions and you can choose from four so there are there's move your troops so you can move any number of your troops up to three spaces each there's summon figures, so you get to summon a figure next to one of your figures or one of your controlled um, like pyramids or temples or obelisks. There's um, gain followers. So the goal of the game is to be like the one god in Egypt that everybody is worshiping. Mm -hmm. And you gain followers by being adjacent to temples and you use those followers to like gain god powers which is the fourth action you could take which is unlocking an ankh ability um and there are three columns of god powers levels one two and three and there are two powers that you, so you're allowed to take two powers max per column so in the first column there are four options in each in the first column it costs one follower to take like a level up ability essentially for your God in the second column where you get to choose two, it costs two followers. And in the third, it costs three followers. Um, and it's, it's Rondell style because if you were to take, for example, move troops, that's the top option. You can take anything below it. But if your first action was to take gain followers, which is the third action, you can only take unlock Ankh power, which is below it. Interesting. I don't really know what that would be called, but you can only take what's below what you've already taken. Mm -hmm. And I thought that that was really neat. Like the second we started going through the rules. That's on your video. on each turn, right? Like you could take on it each again turn. later. Correct. Yes. Um, so on each turn you do that and those actions are like they're tracks. So when you take that action, you move that track forward one. And when you get to the end of the track, that's how it resets and goes back to the front of the track. But when it gets to the end of the track, it triggers an event, which is how you move the game along. So that's the game timer. So, you know, in the first, I was, I was the fourth person to go out of five. Patrick took move. Paul took move. Ray took move. So it was already like three out of 10 spaces down the track. I chose to gain followers and then unlock a God power right away. So like, I didn't want to push it too far because when you hit the end of that track, most of the events that you can do are claiming an un like a neutral monument, which gains you more followers and 
more power and things like that. Moving on from there, some of the events are battles because it wouldn't be a cool mini or not game and a dudes on a map game if you're not battling over locations. And they are, like Rising Sun, numbered one through whatever, however many regions there are. So you start the game with one through five. And throughout the game, there are three events where you can rearrange regions and make it one through eight. Mm-hmm. Um, so you battle in one, then two, and so on down the line until you get to the highest number. So that's the order of battle. And just like the other Cool Mini or Not games, you have battle cards, which give you different power strengths and abilities during battle. The difference here is, and you've played Blood Rage before, right? I have. The difference here is that everybody... Yes, you have. Only once. So with Ankh, everybody has the same hand of cards. So you're not drafting. You know what everybody else has. It's public knowledge once the card has been played. So you can look at who you're fighting, see what cards they've played, look at your own hand, and see what you can do to like better what they have in their hand. Right. Um, And there's one card that you play that lets you bring them all back into your hand. Um, So that's how you reset your hand of battle cards. If you win the battle, you then you go down like this whole checklist and you want to have the majority of controlled monuments in that region because you get points for that. And then after that, if you win the region, you gain points and you do certain things to gain points. It is a race to the end of the points track. So if the game ends and you are how best to describe this the points track has it's not even points it's called it's a devotion track and you kind of just move up toward the end of it but there's half of it or like a little more than half of it that's red and then the top half toward the end is blue after the after the third battle because there's going to be four total battles in the game after the third battle if you remain fourth battle third battle special as well fourth battle if you are still in the red devotion track, you're straight up eliminated from the game. So there is player elimination, but after that, there's only two turns left in the game, essentially. So it's not like it's not like you're waiting around forever for the game to end. The third battle is where you merge the two lowest strength gods. And this is probably the most talked about mechanic in this game. Oh, yeah, that's what it's known um, for. It's a bit funky. I was not one of the merged people. That was Rich and Paul. But basically, after the third battle, the two lowest players get merged into one god. And they then play cooperatively for the rest of the game to try and win. I have a however, question for you. Yes, go for Oh, it. say your however, because my question is not really that important. However, <clears throat> the way it works is that... And it kind of feels a little bad, and I think it's meant to keep everybody to have everybody keep each other in check the points that you work from after being merged are the lower players points. So Paul was like six points behind rich. So rich moved essentially lost six points to merge with Paul, but became super strong. Yes. Because you then have both God's powers. Cause each faction has different powers. Um, both God's powers, you have, um, you know, you play with the same deck of cards, but then you have the ability to take, you each take one action instead of two. And it kind of gives you like a benefit on that track as well, um, which it's a little too 
granular to get into here, but if you play the game, you'll see what the benefit is. Um, it's neat. I, I don't know if I would love being merged as I'm playing the game, but it didn't seem that bad to me either. Mm -hmm. My question is, were the two merged players sitting next to each other? They were not. Because I have heard that it's quite the difference if the merged players can take turns back to back. I can see how that would be the case. Um, all right, fine. I'll get into it because it's now that you've said that the granularity is probably a good thing to have. As I said, when you get to the end of the track, you trigger an event. If you trigger an event on your first action, your turn is done. You cannot take your second action. However, as the merged God, one of the players can trigger an event and the next player can also trigger an event because you're taking two separate single action turns, if that makes sense. Right. So that's your benefit. If they were sitting next to each other and they went back to back, maybe it would have had a difference, a bigger difference. In my head, I actually kind of like the idea of not sitting next to each other because you get to see what other people are doing between your turns. Right. So you, you have more time to like think of what you want to change. Um, but to be honest with you, it was really difficult to even get out of this red devotion space. Um, Ray and I were the only two that got out of the devotion space. So everyone was eliminated except Ray and myself. And the whole game came down to battle order. Um, so Ray at, on the last battle, Ray had control of spaces one and two. And because this is a race to the end of the devotion track, or if the game ends before that, whoever's highest on the devotion track, you instantly win if you reach the end of the devotion track. So even if you're in the middle of a battle, the game just ends if you get to the end of the track. Hmm. So Ray had control of regions one and two. I had control of regions three, four, five, six, and then Ray had seven and eight. And I literally got Ray was one point below the devotion track after region two resolved. And after region six resolved, I ended in the end of the devotion track. So I ended up winning because I maneuvered my characters to be in a specific turn order in battle. So I ended up climbing up those ranks. If we had gotten through six and I didn't win, Ray would have won because he had seven and eight. Um, but it was, it was awesome. I was like I a dramatic it. ending too. Yeah, it was a dramatic ending, which is always exciting. And I've never personally seen a an action selection track like that I, maybe i i mean maybe i haven't i just can't think of one but like both moving along a track and also having to choose one and then something below that was just such like an interesting way to choose your actions and i i really enjoyed it so that was ankh i was again literally looking to buy this game as we were playing it which I've done at Patrick's before. I'm not. I'm no stranger to buying games while playing them at Patrick's. And uh, yeah, I really, really, really liked it. So I'm hoping to play it again sometime soon because I thought it was great. I hope that's your last game because that's a great segue into our question. It is not. I have one more game. Ooh, and yes. it's also new to me. And it is another cool mini or not game. And uh, Patrick went on a buying spree lately and got Ankh and uh, Cthulhu Death May Die. Oh, good. Which, which were definitely not games I would have expected him to enjoy, but he enjoys them, which is cool, which may, means I get to enjoy them. So we tried Cthulhu Death May Die. We played twice. 
the scenario that we played was very, very difficult. Um, overall, I thought the game was good. I preferred Ankh. Um, it's a Cthulhu Death May Die. It's like a cooperative mission based, like move around a map and try and complete an objective based game. So it's I'm kind of like a one off dungeon crawl. Of it's Cthulhu also co-designed by Rob Davio. Yeah, which surprised me when I saw Pandemic. that. Yeah, I saw that on the box, and that was a surprise to me. I did not know that. Um, overall, I thought it was neat. I, I, it wasn't my favorite. I, I was very much looking forward to playing it. I've always wanted to try it. Um, I would play it again. I didn't. I wasn't in love with it, but I thought that it was a fun game. Um, so I'm glad that I'll have the opportunity to play again because I know Patrick owns it. But um, yeah, Ankh was the highlight for me for sure these past two weeks. It was fantastic. So, yeah. So glad you got to play it. And I then I know I teased well. something earlier, just really quick. Uh, I should have, if if it updates, if not, it's probably going to be a little bit later in this week. But after three and a half years, I'm finally going to have Kingdom Death Monster back. <laughs> uh, the game has shipped. It is fully painted. In my opinion, it looks fantastic. I am thrilled with everything I've seen so far. And um, it's coming in three large boxes that are all supposed to be here tomorrow. And I'm just glad that this saga of my life is over. Almost and, over. Uh, almost over. And I can play this game again when it's it gets possible back to the me. giant spider's legs broke. Stop it. Stop it. I swear to God, Jonah. Please don't. Don't don't put that evil on me. I was wondering how that was gonna get shipped. Uh, three large boxes. So we'll see. No, the spider piece with the. I'm assuming. I'm assuming it's in its own box. Hmm. I'll. I bet you that like some of the monsters are in one box. Some of the monsters are. I bet you the two big monsters are in one box. The medium monsters are in another, and then all the rest of the survivors and small monsters are in a third box. My guess is they were. They. It did look like they had like foam, not battle foam, like I have, but it did look like they have like those pull out foam cases. They probably put it in there. But they've they've said they've done commissions of this game before. I'm sure they know how to ship it. But I just am so, so thrilled that I've paid this off and it's on its way back and I finally get to use it again. So, yeah, that's All my right. news. I can't wait to see it alive and well in your house. Same. Well, Mr. Segway Man, why don't you segue us back to your previous segue to the question? That was a lot of segues. Uh, all right. So, as I've said, I have I am no stranger to purchasing games while I'm at Patrick's house. Um, however, that does mean that I've played the game before I've purchased it. And this question is, what game have you purchased before you played it and regretted it the most? And this was another lovely question from our friend Patrick. And I said before we started that I had a great answer to this. And Jonah made a face because he seemed to come up with a great answer to this. And I'm kind of interested what your answer is before mine. Wow. Um, my answer is four words. There is a semicolon in the middle of them. And those words are Sherlock oh. Holmes Consulting Detective. 
Interesting. When Jessica and I lived in Korea, I was looking for a game for the two of us, and everyone said this was a great game for couples, and you could just get it and drink some tea and light a candle and have this great adventure through London. The game was just reading. That's it. I hate reading. And that's all the game is. And thus concludes my review of... (laughs) Yeah, I just... I bought it because I thought we would like it, and then we started it, and I realized it was just reading. Yeah. What a mistake. Well, that's fair, I guess. So, See, I've been looking at that game because I think Ashley and I would enjoy it, but I'm not 100% sure, so maybe I'll have to still try it, but I... Just join a book club instead. I like reading, so maybe I will. Uh, I actually have two answers to this one now that Whoa. I'm sitting here. Um, so the first one was the initial game that I was thinking of. And it's even more disappointing because, I mean, obviously it's always disappointing when they're Kickstarter games and both of these are Kickstarter games. Oh, no. So you're kind of always, you're kind of always buying it before you play it. Unless you are a reasonable person who tries to play it on tabletop simulator if they release it before you back. That's but I'm not re- I'm not reasonable. Uh, so the number one for me is uh, Nemesis. And I know Nemesis is very popular. Wow, I didn't know you disliked it so much. Uh, well, I regretted it because it was so expensive. And the first game that I played of it was with someone with severe analysis paralysis. And it was not even my copy. So I had gotten my copy in and it was someone else's copy that they brought to a game night and we were playing it. And like a group of people, we were playing a group of four as a group of four and the two other people, not the person who owns it. They just like were APing everything. And I was like playing it and trying to enjoy it. Cause I knew I had a copy coming or sitting at home at the time. And I just like, wasn't enjoying it. I did like it more when I played it again with Greg um, with Greg's copy lately Mm -hmm. um, more recently, but man, I, that was when I knew I wanted to sell it. Like I knew it didn't have to be a game that I owned. Um, Also, I saw the prices it was going for in the second hand market. So that helped Um, the other one, yet another Kickstarter game. And this one I had incredibly high hopes for because the world building was amazing. The art was amazing. Everything looked amazing. And then I played the game and it just was not great. Can you guess what it is? It's two words. What's the first letter of each word? Well, that'll give it away. It's huge. It was enormous. And I, when I, Rose Wars. No, I actually really like Black Rose. Yeah, Wars. I know. It was it was Title Blades, right? Yeah. yeah, that was a huge disappointment. Yeah, I don't remember. Did you say that you had the opportunity to play it and you did, or you did not play? It? I turned it down based on your scathing review. Yeah, <laughs> it it was literally the nicest bleh game I've ever played. It was like super pretty, which I love. But there was like no substance to the game at all. It was just like they took the most basic, easy. And that's not a bad thing. Let let me get this out of the way first. It's not a bad thing to have a game that's easy to play and like fun. But 
the the cost of the game, the trouble that the Kickstarter went through to get it to everybody, the size of the box and all of that. And it was literally just like the most stripped down basic worker placement game I could ever imagine with like a little bit of monster battling added on that barely did anything. It was just so disappointing. I was looking forward to it so much because like, like I said, the world building was amazing. Like the, they're going to release a tabletop RPG in this world. And I want to buy it like the rule book. Cause I think it's just a cool world, but the game was just so blah and it was so disappointing. And that was pro- honestly, that was probably the first time I played a Kickstarter game and didn't like immediately try and justify it to myself based on like, wow, did this game change you? I don't know about that because I'm still backing games on Kickstarter, but <laughs> it definitely made me actually take a look a little bit more in depth at the games that I was backing because, you know, the I, I definitely have gotten to a point or had gotten to a point where I back games on Kickstarter and I like I don't really check for a rule book necessarily or anything like that. Like I don't read through a rule book. I'll maybe watch like a little bit of a video and just see if like it interests me. But now, like, these games are just getting more expensive, which, you know, everything is. And I actually have to think about things now, I guess, uh, which is no fun. But, man, that was a big that was a big regret for sure. So, yeah. Probably that that was probably my biggest one. So honorable mention goes to. Uh, terraforming Mars. There's a lot. Honestly, I could sit here all day and say like I bought this game without playing it and then I resold it. But Terraforming Mars, I bought and I've said this before. I bought Terraforming Mars on the assumption that I would enjoy the theme. Then I bought <laughs> the upgraded cubes that were metal. Then I bought the insert from Broken Token. And then I looked at the game and I was like, this does not interest me. And I sold it. So, yeah, it was <laughs> that was a just an overall regret. But Title Blade's probably my number one. Yeah. Well, I think Rob and Jason still have it, so maybe I'll try it someday. That's right. Yeah, it's out there. One day I'll know names. Surfing the waves. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, if you have like some time to kill and you want to play like a pretty simple game and just see what it's like, it's not a bad game. It's just like the the anticipation I had building up, it was just so meh compared to what I thought it was going to be. So if it's someone else's game, probably not nearly as bad. That's right. And look, you have, you've grown. Patrick has onk. You won't get onk. Repeat after me. You won't. (laughs) Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't not buy the retail version, but I probably won't buy the $400 all in version. Right. But if in the future there's a sale on Ankh and it goes on, you know, it goes down to a price where the base game isn't the worst price, I I would not dislike owning the game. But I definitely I went to get some food at Patrick's and I came back and I'm like, guys, I've made a very mature decision. I'm not buying this game. <laughs> I actually said that because I was telling them that I really liked it and I was like looking at it on the BGG marketplace. Then I went to get food and I was like, this is stupid. And I walk back to the table and like, guys, I'm really proud I'm of mature. you. Yeah, I think so. So, yeah, but I had a really good, good time playing the games tonight. So it was fun. Great. I look forward to hearing more about 
the new games you play next week. Yeah, for sure. Same with you. Uh, and on that note, I think that ends this episode of Jonah and Ben play board games with friends. Uh, thank you to everybody for listening in Jonah. Thanks for joining as always. Thanks for having me. Oh, no problem. I'm forced to. And th- <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, and thanks to Louisa for the great music throughout. <laughs>